0: Welcome to a lockdown women's basketball free agency preview. I am Ben Doll here with uh, the the other host, the original host, um, the <laughs> of the podcast, Howard Megdal. Uh, Howard, we talked about this before. It's fun to do an episode together. It's been a while, and oh, we're both true. used to we're both used to kind of wearing the hosting hat. So we'll, uh, but we'll have we'll have fun with this. Plenty to talk about today, right?
1: I'm going to wear a Boston Breakers hat today, just so we have a distinction.
0: There we go. So I want to start just kind of more of a general free agency thing because you've put together the salary database over at High Post Hoops, which is the one resource that has all of the contracts of these players available in one spot. And obviously it's, it's hugely important to what anyone wants to do covering the league to know, to have any semblance of an idea what's going on. So I just kind of want to tee you up and start on that. Maybe there's I don't know if there's maybe some further insight you want to give to people and how you put that together, or just you know to to put into context how big a difference we're at now versus maybe just a couple of years ago for people that want to try to cover this stuff.
1: So here's the easiest way, I think, to understand how important it is and why I not only have put this together, but I haven't put it behind a paywall. I've made it public. I've made sure that everyone has access to this data. And it's a very simple uh, explanation. Uh, The previous Los Angeles Sparks PR person, uh, not Eli Horowitz, the current person there, a few years ago reached out to me right after Candace Parker signed an extension with the team and said to me, uh, would you be interested in doing a Candace Parker story at The New York Times about it? And I said, sure, I'd love to. How many years has she signed for? Well, we can't release that data. How much did she sign for? Well, we can't tell you that. Well, is Candace available? No, she's not available at this time. And so I said, I feel not unreasonably, what exactly would the story be? And that's the reality of the situation where if we don't understand these moves in context, if we don't know what player X signing means for their ability to sign player Y, or their ability to know they have player action can build around her for a long period of time and how it affects upcoming drafts and how it affects upcoming potential trade targets. There's simply no way to write it. And the net result has been that a WNBA offseason has been a dead period for lots of different reasons. And so without getting into details about how and when it came about, it's very obvious that a lot of people get that. A lot of people understand that and wanted to bring about that change in the league. And so presenting your salary database update, uh, which is a lot, a lot of hard work. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but that's just the reality of being able to line up exactly who and when and where and why everybody has signed is really hard to do. But that's the reason why I do it because I want to drive stories, not just at high post hoops, but everywhere across the women's basketball landscape.
0: Well, I'll pat you on the back for it. I mean, thank you for doing it. It's <laughs> I like, I mean, think, think to, you know, think to like what two years ago when I was trying to cover every signing, and it, you know, you're, you can do so much. You know, hey, does this player fit? Does it look good? But when you just don't have any semblance of a picture, it's it's just so much tougher to do. Yeah,
1: hundred percent. And and it's just. Something that is a win for everyone involved. I remember I, I covered Major League Soccer for years. And the moment that Major League Soccer, the Players Association, released all of their salaries, team by team, and started doing that every year, it changed the way Major League Soccer was able to be covered. And I thought of that as a model for what I was trying to do with the WNBA.
0: All right, so let's get into some names here. That's a, that's yeah. what the people are here for. So <laughs> Let's do it. Oh, um, I'm so psyched. So it, it probably, it feels right. I think to start with some of the bigger names, um, mm-hmm. we, we've, we've already heard that Elena Deladon, Emma Misman are likely to return. They have a verbal agreement with the mm-hmm. mystics. Brittany Griner has been courted. Tina Charles has been courted. Skylar Diggins Smith is cord as well. That'll be a name we'll get to. I want to start with Duana Bonner. We had Rachel Gallagher tweeted last night that she's seriously considering leaving the Phoenix Mercury. That can mean a lot of different things simply, you know, just leveraging them, being one. But first, I mean, let's kind of lay out, you know, what what Bonner's path would look like be- with the new Max. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, what's your kind of general feel on, on what Phoenix is looking at right now?
1: Yeah, I, I've heard similar things. Uh, I know that DeJuan Bonner has taken multiple meetings uh, with other teams, uh atlanta's one of the teams that took best interest and that makes a lot of sense because atlanta needs more scoring and Dewana bonner certainly provides that uh it, it, there's and and let's point out like you said uh she can get a max the 185 max because she'd be signing elsewhere as opposed to staying home so there's a thirty thousand dollars uh annually that she'd be leaving on the table uh in year one by signing elsewhere instead now that said She's uh, a long-time veteran. She's obviously looking for her best situation. Uh, I talked to Diana Jirazi about her, uh, and Jirazi, who is certainly open to recruiting and is up for it, and said she's essentially standing back. She's letting Dewana make her own decision. She said, you know, the 10 years we had together, uh, you know, can stand uh, for itself, and she certainly knows uh, what it would mean to stay here and what it would mean to not. And so I'm not surprised that she's exploring her options and considering where she ought to be. And it's worth remembering the reason she is an unrestricted free agent and can't be toured is because she's been court four times. So here's somebody who's been in the league for a decade and has not controlled her own destiny for essentially any of it. So exploring her freedom and figuring out what makes the most sense for her uh, as somebody who would be a good fit the Swiss army knife of a player. Somebody who's able to score, somebody who's a terrific passer. Uh, she's a plus rebounder for her size. Dewana Bonner would fit on just about any roster in terms of basketball. And so it's really just a question of, are there teams that are close to winning that ought to bring her in?
0: Yeah, and, and you mentioned Atlanta. Yeah, if, if anyone that can score, shoot, do things with the basketball on offense, they would certainly certainly welcome that
1: well think for, about for, her as like an angel replacement with um a different locker room presence that might be the easiest way to think about what she'd
0: be in atlanta yeah and, and for phoenix you know it's it's interesting because i i've been generally more of the mind like hey let's let's maybe settle down like let's i'm not really of the mind like all movement is good movement you know i'm, I'm a little more <laughs> a little more skeptical of that but in this case you know, I, I think it's, it makes sense to look at Phoenix as you don't know what you don't know what you're gonna get from Tarassi anymore. And as that, that 2018 run, you know, they didn't win the title to be clear, but that, that team was so much fun. and last year was pretty much a lost year. And I, I would look at it too as with Tarassi as such a question question mark, her health, I, if she's just if she kind of has another year like that where she can't get off the ground, I don't think Phoenix gets into the conversation as a title contender without adding another big addition, which would be hard for obvious reasons. So to explore their options at this point from, from just a basketball standpoint, too, that seems to make sense.
1: So they've made the decision. I remember talking to Jim Pittman about this uh, a year ago. They've made the decision. They're going to run with BG and D for as long as they can, as long as Taraji is willing to do it as long as she is there, she is in place. And I get that. I understand that. There's an argument to be made for it. You have a chance at Tarazi greatness. If she's healthy, you have a chance to maximize that by putting her next to Brittany Griner, one of the great centers in the history of this game already. Uh, I think you do it. That said, they are so, so dependent, like you said, on Tarazi being 100% and that big three that they've had for a long time. And if you don't bring Bonner back, and you try and diversify a little more with some, let's say, mid-range talent, rather than uh, those those three, and then the undergroup, whether it's Sophie Cunningham, uh, Smith, Turner, you know, those young players on the rookie deals, you might have an opportunity to spread your risk a little, to mitigate it. Uh, but, man, Bonner had a reasonably strong MVP case last year. And so in a world where Elena Deladon didn't exist, she might have been the MVP. And letting her go elsewhere is going to be a difficult thing to replace, especially on this market, especially as you're trying to look at who are the players who could possibly do it. But uh, Kalia Copper, who's drawn a lot of interest is somebody who I wonder if Phoenix is trying to go after her to try and get younger. It would make a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, So so let's go – to uh, another one of the bigger names, Skylar Diggins-Smith, who you recently did a podcast with people can go back and listen to that. They missed it. Uh, Just what do you, what are you making of the situation right now? And, you know, maybe, maybe before we get into specific teams, if there's anything else you wanted to address there.
1: Skylar Diggins-Smith has to figure out where she wants to go. She has made it quite clear she wants out of Dallas and, There are teams that would seem to be a good fit for her, but wouldn't necessarily be a good fit for Dallas in terms of the young talent you get in return. So let's let's say Minnesota, for instance, Minnesota would be a wonderful opportunity for Skylar Diggins-Smith. She would, I think, thrive under Cheryl Reeve in the same way she thrived under Muffet McGraw when she was back in college. And when I talked to Skylar, her number one thing is, I want to win a championship. Her number two thing is, where's a happy place for myself, for my son, for my husband. Uh, There's downtown apartment buildings in Minnesota where she could go live and be very comfortable. And walk to work every day. So you know, Minnesota would be a great fit. But what, what are the Lynch going to trade Dallas in return for Skyler, and Smith? They don't have a lot of pieces who are necessarily expendable. Uh, Demiris Dantas is obviously extremely uh, talented on a pretty team-friendly deal now, given with the new CBA uh, is calling for in terms of max salary, but they need Dantas. Dantas is their Rebecca Brunson replacement. Dantas really thrived last year, and was a significant part of their future. Somebody like uh, Nafisa Collier is a critical part of that team. You can't send Nafisa Collier in the deal for Scholar-Didden-Smith. You're opening up one hole in exchange for another. Then there are veterans, you know, Simone Augustus is a free agent right now, but Simone Augustus isn't really, even if she re-signed for a sign-and-trade, a logical part of what Dallas would want in return. And obviously Sylvia Fowles can and should be untouchable in a world where Sylvia Fowles is what she is, and Cheryl Reeve certainly knows that. All of which is to say, I don't know how the two sides match up on a deal. A similar issue with Atlanta. Uh, with the added uh, issue that I'm not sure Atlanta is on Skyler Ditton Smith, uh, Smith's list as a potential place to go. So there's a lot of uncertainty there that goes hand in hand with where she's going to end up. All of that said, I had a chance to watch her in person. Skyler Ditton Smith looks quicker than she did before she had the baby. Skyler Ditton Smith looks ready to help a team. And she sounds ready to go commit to a place at age 30 for the rest of her basketball career. So there's a huge upside opportunity for whoever trades for her.
0: So I'm, I'm glad you brought up Minnesota right away. I've got, I've got a, I tried to put together a bunch of trades. I've the oh, one good. I like the, the one I like the most, not to mean that it's, you know, Hey, this is a slam dunk, but right. the one that I liked the most that I was able to come up with involves Minnesota. So here it is three team deal. <laughs> Minnesota gets Minnesota gets Skylar. Mm-hmm. LA gets Steph Talbot. And Dallas's first round pick from Vegas, which is ninth overall. Mm. Dallas gets Minnesota's first, number six overall, so they're they're moving that pick up a few spots, which is probably which is really important if early entrants aren't entering the draft and pushing more people down true to make number nine more valuable and then pick one Maria Vidiva or Kalani Brown with obvious questions of Maria Vidiva just being a big part of a national team does she want to go to Dallas all that etc etc your your thoughts
1: (laughs) I know Brian Agler loves Vadiva so that's significant in and of itself Kalani Brown I think is uh, a monster talent in waiting, you know, who just needs to get the minutes to be able to do it. And obviously she'd be a great fit uh, going, going back to uh, Texas as well. It, it's interesting. It feels a little light for Skylar Diggins Smith uh, and the amount of talent that she's getting. It seems like Minnesota would be getting very much the best of that deal, especially with this being a little bit of a thinner draft here in 2020, especially relative to 2018 and 2019, which were really deep drafts. Uh, but, you know, obviously if I'm Cheryl Reeve, I do that yesterday.
0: Yeah. Well, and the thing is just, you know, yeah. And the thing too, is just, you know, none of, none of these, none of these trades when it's, the players made it clear, it's going to be quote unquote equal value. Right. I mean, you know, Vegas got the Liz can base trade done without putting in the number one pick.
1: Well, think about so, it this way. it, It's not a binary thing, right? And and Skylar was even talking about this on the podcast a little bit. If Skylar Dugan Smith says, there are six teams I'll go to. Well, that's half the league. You can leverage. You've got the ability to go back and forth. If Skylar Dugan Smith says, I'm only going to Minnesota, for instance. I'm not saying she said that. I'm saying it hypothetically. Then it's up to Dallas. to get the best they can or have an asset sit there for nothing. So, there are different ways in which this can go. You think about what ultimately Chicago got for, say, Sylvia Fowles a few years ago. Sylvia Fowles. Oh, my God. I mean, Minnesota stole her uh, because she was prepared to sit out the season and did sit out a portion of the season before she came over to Minnesota. So if Skylar Diddon Smith is ready to do that and to pick a team and go from there, I mean, you know, just use the NBA version of this. Carmelo Anthony was unwilling to do that because he didn't want to leave money on the table. And then the Knicks ended up having to trade all their assets in order to get him.
0: Yeah, so I, I, I did like that one for all sides. And, and you know, maybe something else obviously has to go in there. But I thought L.A. was an interesting team to bring in because you kind of start it from the point of, OK, well, who has, who has a young player somewhere mm-hmm. that's interesting to Dallas? And, no, I like it. Uh, yeah.
1: and, and, and by the way, L.A., I'm just, just going to point out, L.A.'s got some stuff to figure out, but they're already coming into free agency at 775000 in guaranteed uh, and rookie salaries for 2020, uh, which puts them within shouting distance of the $1.3 million cap. They're going to have to replace Elena Beard, and they're going to have to figure out what they do about that core. So, you know, adding someone like Skylar Aiden smith would be real, real interest, you put her next to Chelsea Gray, and you might have what would also be the ideal American backcourt uh, as your as your LA backcourt.
0: Yeah, I did. I did look at just just at LA, and the question I asked is, what do they bring back Tierra and Pratt or not? I just feel like the the most important need for them that got exposed in the semis, and maybe we can kind of transition into talking to about LA now as, as one of those semifinalists is that it, it just getting something else on the wing just feels like such a more pressing need. They need someone that can be a threat in this really, you know, this
1: can't play four not, and five anymore in this league. You cannot do it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's why I think and, angel makes the most sense out there. I think angel McCartney to the Los Angeles Sparks has been the thing that has made, and, and this is not with reporting. This is just purely what I think would be the best fit uh, would be, Angel McCautry out there, of course, you know, to discuss it with their uh, general manager uh, would be a useful, helpful thing. And uh, they'll just need to pick a general manager first.
0: <laughs> any day now, um, any day. And with with LA, next next offseason might get pretty grim with all the people that they're going to have to resign. And somehow make it all fit and with well, re sign, few- or,
1: or is Candace going to keep playing? You know, Candace was real unhappy at the end of 2019. And will Candace be comfortable after 2020 saying, All right, now it's time to hang it up? Uh, she has certainly done everything you can ask of a player. Candace Parker is going to have a huge future in broadcasting, as we've seen already. Uh, she is an absolute uh, gift to television, and so if Candace Parker doesn't like what's going on in LA, will she stick around? I have my doubts.
0: Yeah. So trying to, trying to look elsewhere with LA, you know, does Alina Yagapova come over? I've kind of been trying to bang that drum for a while because Mm -hmm. just watching her, I mean, she is an unbelievable scorer and any, if you want to allude or just outright say any kind of, you know, Euro kind of stereotype, like that is false. Like she is an awesome athlete. She is a bowling ball, like with the ball in her hands. Like if, if she comes over, like that's, that's your fifth scoring threat right there.
1: Yeah, it's very true. And, and I, I know she was on the radar for Penny, but obviously Penny not being there anymore. It's interesting. It would be interesting to know how significant of an option that is, but I totally agree with you. I will just point out that it is always a difficult transition. You know, I I, I mean, coming over and playing in the W for the first time, it's difficult for rookies. It's difficult for veterans. I remember uh, Marie Johannes uh, was coming over, and I had somebody in our Facebook messages at High Post Hoops and was screaming about the fact that we didn't say that she was going to be the leading scorer on the Liberty and was going to be their obvious star. And and I think very highly of Johannes, and she had a terrific rookie year. But it's a transition. It is absolutely something that requires time. And so assuming she would come in and be, let's say, a McCawtree-level uh, option is a difficult one. But there's also the fact, and, and it has to be said, Angel has never been anything other than the first option anywhere she's been. And she would not be. She would potentially be at best first among equals in L.A. And more likely, she would be a second, third or fourth option. Uh, her usage rate would change accordingly, uh, as it should, uh, which no slight on Angel Cautry, But there are absolute stars. There are former MVPs there in both Tannis Parker and Neko Dwamake and there's in my mind a future MVP in Chelsea Gray.
0: Yeah. And i you know, one thing I would say to to the uh the comp with Marine is just that, you know, Marine is, you know, ninety pounds. <laughs> just <laughs> I th- you know I, I think the the Yagapo would be much is much much more built to handle contact is the one thing I would say. Yes. I I want to be
1: be clear, it. I was not making a comp between the two players in terms of style or physically or saying all European players are similar in that way. I'm simply pointing out that Marine, who could get to the basket at will overseas, and by the way, did a pretty good job getting to the hoop when Katie gave her the opportunity last year in New York as well. It wasn't as if she was purely a three-point shooter and that was it. But it was a transition coming and playing in the WNBA in the finest league in the world, and so that transition period varies for different players, but it happens for everyone, domestic or foreign.
0: Yeah, and the to the idea of of Angel joining this group, you know, I I don't think I would even do like the oh how much three point shooting are they gonna have blah 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 like I I think if if you can make a big addition, they just have to do it because I. If they, if they more or less bring this team back, I don't think they'd be good enough to win a title.
1: No, I, there's no reason to think they would. And you have to be thinking less about in the locker room right now and more about how do you maximize the talent here. I don't think you can plan this team around we're going to have the type of consistency and multi-year um, fluency that you saw that helped Connecticut get within a game of winning the title and helped Washington win at all. This is a team that you have to say, all right, we have Candace Parker. We know we've got her for 2020. We've got Neko Gwumake. We've got Sinead Gwumake. We've got talent on this team. And before we shift from pure veterans to looking to build for the next five years around Chelsea Gray, which has to be the long-term play. When you look at the talent that Chelsea Gray brings to the table, uh, you try and figure out how do we maximize winning in 2020? And can we catch lightning in a bottle?
0: Absolutely. Uh, as far as anything else with LA, the, the last thing I had is just between Sidney Weiss, Marina Mabry, Alexis Jones mm-hmm. with, with Mabry, I think being the one that's clear, they need to prioritize at this point to your point about building around Chelsea Gray, a, a shooter of that caliber is a pretty clear fit. It might be time for them to kind of consolidate there because maybe they squeeze in one more vet, even if they make a big move and just to maybe give them something else. Namely, you know, I I think the, I think the, and maybe you can add some broader context to this. I think the backup point guard market is interesting because we could just see everyone go back to their own teams and LA who, you know, it was, it, it got kind of dicey for them because if they weren't going to split up Candace Parker and Chelsea Gray, they might, they might need, they well they do need they do need one more one more true point guard I think they on do that team. they do
1: and, and and so to me if I'm prioritizing uh, among that trio uh, Minnesota tried to make Alexis Jones into a backup point guard and it didn't take and when you've got Mabry and Weiss uh, and their defensive abilities and their length and their ability to play I think and fit nicely alongside uh, what you have in Chelsea Gray. Uh, my my best suggestion when it came to that is find a way to grab a potential solution to back up point guard in this draft. This draft is not deep in a lot of different ways. It is very deep in potential point guards, and so when I'm thinking about the long term, and I'm just I'm just you know thinking wh- who do I have? You know, we'll have a mock draft coming up next week, but if you know, someone like Michaela Pe- uh, Pivik is somebody who could potentially be a long-term answer at point guard in this league. Uh, if Ari McDonald and Kennedy Carter come out, they're going to be picks near the top of the draft. But there are no shorter, you know, Crystal Dangerfield, Tayasha Harris, T- uh, Tia Cooper. Like, Minion Moore is somebody who I think could give you a two-way solution at backup point guard. Uh, for an extended period of time, even somebody later on, if you want to stay in town at like Capristine, somebody like Shirt Sutton, there are options in this draft to potentially play backup point guard down the line.
0: Well, and they're they're uh, they're going to have to dig pretty deep. They don't, they have to wait till uh, the eighth pick in the second round. They had got that in the Jantel Lavender trade, uh, and uh, said GM. I'm sure is working furiously right now to uh, yes. to scout to scout those names. Has to has to do
1: it. I mean, there's moving up too as well. I mean, something like Pat, Alexis Jones is a talented, valuable player. I wasn't meaning to be dismissive of what she brings to the table, but if you have too many players at that spot and you have a need to fill uh, something like Alexis Jones and the eighth pick in the second round to move up to, let's say fourteen. If Minnesota wants it, for instance, might be a way to do it.
0: Yeah. So that's that's all I had on LA. Did you have anything else you wanted to hit on with the sparks before going to the other semifinalist?
1: No, I think I, I think that's about it. I, I think I think it's real interesting. I think they have a slot to fill. And I also I I don't know how you replace Elena Beard. I, I don't think you do. I think there's one Elena Beard, and that is a huge loss for them
0: no question and, and by the way there will be uh we're addressing connecticut as their own uh section we attack that on at the end stay tuned for that and and you know washington i mean we can we can kind of hit that now i mean sure we meant we mentioned we mentioned del Don Amisaman, yeah mike tebow Supported
1: by dave abraham
0: yeah, on the Windsider show and right. on that same show, Mike Tebow said, Hey, like, we're not, to paraphrase, you know, we're not really going to rock the boat here. You know, I, I was looking at it as, Why on earth you, would you? Yeah.
1: Jeez, we, we, we just had maybe the greatest offensive season in the history of the league, and it's hard to argue otherwise. Yeah, I, I, I'd roll with it.
0: Yeah. You pencil in their 12th pick, and then uh, I did, I, I had counted this up. It looks like you, you can kind of look at what they have for those three names is to offer them Is it looked like basically two of those two fifteen slots and about 180,000 more. Mm-hmm. So anyway, they'd kind of divvy that up for those three names. You know, that's, that seems kind of it for their off season.
1: Sounds like a logical thing to me. Yeah, Obviously Chief Christy Tolliver. If you have the opportunity, she's so important to that team in so many different ways. And Alina uh, Deladon, um, I, we should we should try and figure out if she's good or not, right? That would be a good use of our time on this free agent pod, uh, podcast. <laughs> I mean, yeah. holy cow! I, I just it's, it's just to to all our listeners, not just not just Elena as a player. Go see her live when you have the opportunity. You got to see the way she physically manifests herself uh, on a game. It is something to see up close. I, I've got two. Uh, children at home and, and a wife who's become a huge WNBA fan uh, through my work. And there are a lot of games. We're watching games all the time, right? But when Elena Deladon comes to town, we go see her in person. You you go see her when she's in your town. In the same way that when Brianna Stewart is in your town, you go see her. And when Diana Taurasi is in your town, you go see her. Because how many opportunities do you get?
0: Yep. I wholeheartedly agree there. So, the Aces. Liz Cambage is a restricted free agent, like Chelsea Gray of LA, and a player of that caliber. Anything short of them asking a trade, there's no way on earth that they are changing teams this offseason. Nope. And
1: apparently Liz is buying real estate in Las Vegas. Sounds like she's sticking around. So There
0: you go. Good news for them. Good good news for the
1: Las Vegas real estate market.
0: (laughs) So... The I'm basically looking at them as they also have Jisoo Park on a rookie deal, but they have so they have their top six, mm-hmm. and then they have a big pile of money to do whatever they want to do to fill their bench, and they got to do it now because they're out those that first round and second round pick to Dallas in said Cambage trade.
1: Well, again, they're in a similar situation when you think about their window in that Liz Cambage has told me she's going to play in 2020 and she doesn't know if she's going to play after that. And so you have to plan around having a generational talent like Liz Cambage for now. It's it's about today and tomorrow, it, similar to L.A., right? Tomorrow you can plan – around Asia Wilson for the foreseeable future. And that's a great opportunity. I mean, you know, it's not a rebuild. Asia Wilson is a franchise icon. But for 2020, it's how do you best make what is sometimes a difficult on fit with Wilson and Cambage and the way they overlap in terms of where they are on the floor to make sure that works. And so to me, the biggest failure when I think about Las Vegas last year is that they went into 2019 saying, we're going to try and make what is a challenge on the floor work with a rookie point guard who's arguably playing out of position in Jackie Young and I am bullish on Jackie Young's WNBA future but asking her to on a veteran team be that floor leader it didn't work and and I don't know why the thought was that it would work uh, I also don't understand it when you've got Kelsey Plum right there I I think this lead has criminally underrated Kelsey Plum since the lead-up to the draft when San Antonio uh, didn't, uh, at least some portion of San Antonio, didn't want to draft her. And and she's Kelsey Plum, and she's just put her head down and done the work, and she's become – she went from, I I think, underrated, but let's say slightly below average defender in college, to a plus defender to go along with somebody who's capable of finding her teammates – uh, a tremendous three point shooter, somebody who should be part of the national team conversation. I'm big on Kelsey Plum. I think if you are Vegas, you make her your playmaker and you build around it. But if they're not prepared to do that, then you have to think in terms of, well, Lazier Clarendon's a free agent. Lazier Clarendon is a tremendous, tremendous player uh, and somebody who could help them figure out their offensive possessions in some fundamental ways. So, That's the biggest thing. You're absolutely right. Yeah, they can stack their bench. They can figure out how to make that work. And they've got some money to be able to do so. I'd I'd be shocked if they're not one of the teams in on Kalia Copper as well. Uh, You know, but that said, they need to figure out point guard and they need to figure out how to become more of a three point shooting threat. Bill Ambeer made some nods to it. In his offense early on in the year, you, you did speak to this better than I can. You saw him live and you've been covering them uh day in and day out. But they it seemed almost like they were rest on it over the course of the year and went back to the Bill Beer School of Lawn twos more by the end of the year.
0: Yeah, I well I kinda I kinda have a bit of a rant on the whole Aces three point shooting thing. Like well, and it's it's this isn't what people are gonna expect. I don't understand banging that drum because Last year, 2018, a brand new team, Asia Wilson's a rookie, versus last year, Liz Cambage gets to camp late, is on a minutes restriction, versus whatever they are next year, where it's much more fair and reasonable to call them the title contenders that Vegas was last season once they made the trade. Those are three completely different teams. And my my whole thing with the shooting, like – I was, yeah, like you said, I was at practices. I was asking about it. Like it came up that Bill Lambert is not going to tell his players not to shoot threes. So I don't really understand, you know, they, like they went and got Sugar Rogers, Mm -hmm. somebody to, to fill that exact role off the bench. And like when she would, you know, she's a pretty aggressive three point shooter that they weren't mad when she took shots. They're not mad if Kayla McBride is taking a bunch of threes and, and this kind of ties in with Plum. You know, I think there is a little bit of recency bias there, too, where I don't disagree with any of the points made about Plum. I I, I do think she should be used more in what, the way we saw in the Washington series. And she was awesome in that series. Washington got to the point where they were trapping her, giving the Aces four-on-threes. Mm-hmm. Like, please play four-on-three. Like, we need to get the ball out of Kelsey Plum's hands. She got the ball out in a timely fashion. And, and on those plays, her teammates kind of failed her on some of those. So yeah, it's, it's a clear answer that, that plum needs to be the one with the ball when she can force a team to do things like that. And, and then you can, you, um, with Wilson and Campage working inside, you can, you can really put teams in a bind, but then Jackie young also becomes a part of this too, where she just wasn't a threat to make standstill threes. It's obviously something that's going to be a top priority for their entire team over the off season. But between, you know, the thing that people f- seem to forget with Plum is she, the ball just wasn't going in the basket at the beginning of the season, and some of that might have been a self fulfilling prophecy to where, you know, seeing the ball not go in was further reason to not give them the bigger share of the offense that people argue she should have had. Well, and then with Jackie Young, well, she also just got to
1: of the ball. I, I, I yeah. understand with, with Plum, you know. Uh, She got to prove herself. She got to prove herself. She she's proven herself, you know, and and look, she's certainly done it now as one of the leaders in three point percentage in 2019. But, uh, you know, a self-fulfilling prophecy is is part of it. But you put extra pressure on this person. This is not a player that you have to question the work ethic. Kelsey Plum is the first one out there. Every practice and the last one to leave most of the time you saw that. I mean, Kelsey Plum is somebody who puts more pressure on herself than anybody else does. So if you've if you're coaching her, the thing that you need to do is make sure that you've put her in position to succeed and let her know that sh- her her opportunity isn't riding on every shot. It's not a shock to me that she struggled early on, not knowing that.
0: Yeah, and so and, you know, I don't think we're actually really up f- you know any significant distance apart on that evaluation. It's just um. And, you know, the thing with Jack, Jackie Young, too, I mentioned, not just her three, but, you know, she she wasn't finishing shots in the lane. And that's, I think, the thing you were more expecting her to do. So that, so, that's so a, one... That's
1: a rookie year thing, though. That's going yeah. from finishing in the ACC to finishing at the WNBA level. I mean, that is a challenge for any player. Moving to the WNBA level, to the most skilled defenders, to the biggest bodies in the world, makes a difference. I, I, I do just want to point out... For all of Vegas's three-point shooters, and they've got McBride, who is tremendous. And you're absolutely right. Sugar Rogers, yes, is a willing three-point shooter. I think that's probably the best way of putting it. Uh, and Kelsey Plum, obviously, as well. They went and they finished at the bottom of the lead in the percentage of points they got from three. It was 20.1%. And you say, all right, look, they've got Liz Cambage, who, by the way, is a willing three-point shooter, ended up uh, herself uh, as well. Uh, but that was below Indiana and Minnesota who ran a lot of their offense through Tierra chair and Sylvia Fowles. Uh, to be clear, uh, that was well below the teams that were at the very top. Connecticut got 27.7% of their shots from three, uh, of their points from three Washington, of course, which is a whole other conversation is at 31.2%. And so the question is not, are they willing? The question is, are they doing enough of it? And so New York, got 25.3% of their points from three. They were ninth in the league last year. Walt Hopkins at his press conference said, we're going to shoot a lot more threes. It's not a mystery that three point shots are worth more than twos. And so can Vegas make up for that by virtue of, uh, improving what they get out of Liz, who's obviously tremendously efficient around the basket, and improving what they get out of Asia, who is also tremendously efficient around the basket, or do you need to make that up with more shots beyond the arc? Does your offense need to change in that way? I think it's an open question.
0: Yeah, and and one one thing on McBride, Bill Ambier mentioned a few times, that she just wore down. At the end of the season, mm-hmm. and he really, you know, seemed to feel pretty strongly that way. So maybe, you know, a big priority for them is they're going to have to maybe keep a more careful eye on her minutes. And you know, one more thing to the shooting is that, you know, also I think it, it might kind of have to be their team because you look to the nature of Liz Cambage and Asia Wilson that it's of their nature. You know, what they're good at is making shots over you mm-hmm. because Liz is so much bigger than everybody and then Asia is such a unique jump-shooting talent at the forward position, it's also kind of, I think it's going to be the nature of their team because that's what those players do well. So they're not, you know, they're the onus on them to kick it out, by the way, when they don't necessarily have three, four threats around them all the time. So it's not going to be as easy of a decision. The the onus to get them to get get rid of it it has to be much more aggressive because they can still finish over people so easily.
1: Well, and and I just add to that. All right. So what are you building around? What are your building blocks? They're obviously Cambege and Wilson this year. And if we accept that they're going to do a lot of uh, their damage uh, inside the paint, which is a perfectly reasonable thing uh, to see, I use simply say, all right, does the rest of your roster, do you have the luxury with the rest of your roster? of anything more than just as much shooting, as much spacing as possible. I'm not sure you do.
0: Yeah, so let's let's maybe get into some some targets and can also kind of talk about the, the other bench players there. Just you know, one one I think just what they see with Tamara Young might kind of be the first domino worth pushing over she started games from down the stretch last year and in the playoffs mm-hmm. her size her defense they really needed that she was a team that kind of kind of gave them a jolt when they would start games flat etc so if they do replace her you know it better be someone really good you know for one as much as again like you can poke it poke at her you know she's not an awesome three-point shooter it's but
1: 30 percent from three Listen, Shakina Strickland is an unrestricted free agent and Connecticut's going to have some difficulties putting it all together. If they are providing anything like the young Max, as as they should be providing to Courtney Williams and John Quill Jones, especially. And so if you are thinking for Las Vegas, how do you. You need to create the space for both Wilson and Cam Beige. I mean, I I don't mean to keep beating that drum, but how do you do it? Well, one of the best three-point shooters in the lead wouldn't be a bad way to start.
0: Yeah, and and one of of the ideas I've been kicking around in my head too is I wonder if we end up seeing somebody give someone the 185 max, which Connecticut, of course, may very well give her anyways, Mm -hmm. but if someone does that, gives that to somebody on a one-year deal, and maybe with the idea of a wink, wink of hey, like, can you sign with us later for more? You know, for a little less on a multi-year deal because we do this solid. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that might happen. Strickland would obviously be an awesome person to do that with, and and maybe even some other people Vegas might target with this room. I mean, when you
1: think about Strickland, she's—you could argue a critical part of what the Sun do and have done, right? And so that would be a big change to see her go to Las Vegas. And you just think about one team made the finals last year, the other ends up in the semifinals. You could see that as the type of move that tips the scales.
0: Yeah. They, you know, their number one defense last year, largely, you know, largely they're just playing to, you know, Hey, we have all this size at the rim, you know, come, you're welcome to come finish over us if you can. So I don't see any reason to knock that idea down. That would mm-hmm. that would really propel them towards really, you know, becoming an unbelievable offense as well. And looking elsewhere, one name I thought that was interesting for them is Glory Johnson. Maybe they try to that's with the with with Put the idea
1: three in other words.
0: Well, with the idea that we're going to continue to play Jerica Hamby a lot at the three, and maybe that's because you know someone else gives Ty Young a big offer and lures her away. Mm-hmm. But Hey, we're fine with Hanby at the three anyways, a lot. And then the, those backup four minutes, maybe we try to bring in glory Johnson as a backup five. And it's another person we can throw out there and do a lot of switching, which they had to resort to, which anyone probably has to resort to against Washington or Seattle. Now that they're back together and you know, they're so much built on pace and rebounding. Hey, here's an awesome rebounder who can rim run just, you know, just, it 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 might it might not be big enough of a need to get more minutes there, but if, if well, they the know other question
1: that- is, can somebody give Gloria a starting job? Or is that is that what she is? Is she a rotation player at this point? Uh, Gloria Johnson would be uh, for lots of reasons, not least of which she is a very Bill and Beer type player when it comes to what she's battling, going after. Uh, i you know, I I can't I can't even count how many late game situations where Glory Johnson the one who comes up with the rebound in a key spot. And so I could absolutely see her being part of a championship run for them.
0: And Essence Carson, an unrestricted free agent, maybe that can be another target, a three and D kind of player was, was a tough year for her last year, got banged up. But if she's healthy, that could, that could be a target for them. And then at backup point guard, they're another team. They could bring back Sidney Colson. They've also got Lindsey Allen, who missed last season after going undergoing knee surgery. So maybe you, one of those two, somehow, maybe both of them make it, seems unlikely. Or they go get somebody else, maybe even former, someone else who played for Lambier, Bria Hartley.
1: Bria Hartley's out there. I mean, she's not the same kind of playmaker that Sidney Colson became last year. It's interesting. I, I mean, Colson's evolution as a player relatively late in her career. She's been around a few years and being able to find her spot, I thought, was one of the revelations of the 2019 season. So I, I'd be surprised if they moved on from Colson. I guess would be the simplest way to put it. But I think there's also an opportunity to potentially have her go somewhere else because certainly they were not the only teams who mentioned
0: yeah, and uh, to to echo that from a basketball standpoint, and just seeing how beloved she was in that locker room, I, I see no reason for them to move on from Colson. Mm-hmm. But to to wrap on Vegas, any any thoughts on them as a as a DeWanna Bonner team or even mm-hmm. a McCantry team? Do you think Do you think about it?
1: Maybe, but here's the problem. Right, the problem with Bonner is that she's not what you would call an extremely efficient three-point shooter. You know, she shot 27.2% from three last year. She's at 30% for her career. It's the same reason why my concern uh, is with Angel as a fit. So they're using a lot of possessions. They're using a lot of possessions, not spacing the floor from three. And I don't think you have that luxury when you have the already established luxury of Asia Wilson and Liz Cambage. But with the limitations that that presents as well. I think you've got to spend your money on three-point shooting beyond those two. Have to. All
0: right. Thank you all so much for listening. That wraps up part one of this three-part preview for free agency that you get here on Locked On Basketball. Thank you so much to Howard for joining the show. Check out the full uh, salary breakdown, the database he offers over at High Post Hoops. You can, you can totally take that and run anywhere. That's the great thing about it. You can build your own sheets you can map out scenarios for different teams that's you know kind of the whole you know it's not this isn't everything to you know cover in the league but it's a big part of it and it makes it a lot more fun there's this is an angle that obviously a lot of basketball fans enjoy so remember you can go check that out and be sure to subscribe to this podcast leave us a review and you can reach out to either of us on twitter at ben underscore doll at howard mcdoll with with feedback suggestions things you want us to cover and be sure to go read over at Hoops, and stay tuned for parts two and three coming out over the weekend